Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I hope everyone sprung forward this past weekend. I, for one, am not upset about the days becoming longer. A housekeeping item before I go into today's kind of conservation roundup. I just announced this afternoon that my first keynote event will be conservation related to an extent. I'm going to be headlining the Kansas State Rifle Association's annual meeting at their dinner April 22nd in Lenexa, Kansas, just outside Kansas City metro area. Very exciting. So you can find full details on my social media account on the State Rifle Association page. Very, very excited to have that. But we're going to talk about three pivotal updates. There are so many updates, hard to narrow down. But I'm largely going to focus on three. I'm going to talk briefly about the $1.6 billion generated from excess taxes, Pittman-Robertson, Wildlife Sport Fish Association type of funds, things of that sort that was generated in 2022. Hunting is conservation. Fishing is conservation. We're also going to talk about an oil project that was surprisingly approved because of applied pressure from Alaska natives to allow for the Willow Project, which would produce a lot of oil. It wouldn't supplement entirely for all these misguided climate policies that are economically depressing us and making us dependent on other countries for fossil fuels. And then I'm going to talk about another good news item, the pausing of MCC codes by credit card companies who were set to adopt this. This is not even a federal policy, but I bet you the feds would follow. The federal government rather would follow uh, the card companies had they proceeded with it due to the backlash from the farms industry, probably FFL dealers and others. So three good news items today. Every... February, March, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service releases their annual findings of how much money is generated to the state wildlife agencies from Pittman-Robertson and Dingle-Johnson Amendment activities from excise taxes born out of firearms, ammunition purchases, hunting, fishing licenses, boating, etc. We've talked at length about this system at play. If you need a refresher on Pittman-Robertson, Dingle-Johnson, and how all that money is appropriated, that kind of connection, um, the collection by the Treasury Department to go to Department of Interior to later be dispersed to the states according to number of hunters and land size, you can look past episodes. I'll give a resource. But here's what the press release dated March 3rd from the Public Affairs Headquarters of Fish and Wildlife Service said. They announced today that over $1.6 billion in apportionments to support states, commonwealths, and territories in their efforts to connect people with nature and conserve fish 
wildlife in their habitats. The record-setting funding is supported through excise taxes paid last year on small engine fuel and by manufacturers of hunting and fishing equipment and is dispersed through the Services Wildlife and Sport Fish Restoration Program. The state industry federal partnership was established nearly a century ago with the support of sportsmen and women manufacturers and conservation professionals that has proven to be one of the most effective tools for conservation in the world. Notice that they don't mention firearms manufacturers where 60 to 70% of those monies come from because this administration doesn't like the Second Amendment. Not surprising. A statement from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Director Martha Williams, she said, This partnership is vital to wildlife and habitat restoration, conservation, and outdoor pursuits throughout the country because it helps our state partners create opportunities for recreational access and monitor and manage wildlife and wild places, she said. These funds play an important role by augmenting work, other national conservation and stewardship-oriented efforts such as those supported by President Biden's Infrastructure Law, Great American Outdoors Act, and the America the Beautiful Initiative. I really hate that they tied it to both the infrastructure infrastructure law and America the Beautiful. Pumping money into conservation through this, I have serious questions. I support standalone bills, not these gargantuan spending bills because it's full of a lot of junk. And this America the Beautiful initiative, 30 by 30, highly questionable as well. If you need refresher courses on that, want you guys to go back some episodes and you can find more about America the Beautiful, 3030. While this is good news, this is a um, $100 million more from last year is $1.5 billion. Now it's $1.6. That's a historic number since Pittman-Robertson went into effect in 1937. And I have talked long and at length about keeping Pittman-Robertson. I have criticized fellow conservatives for their efforts to reduce numbers, to reduce the funding under the guise of protecting the Second Amendment. You're not losing out on Second Amendment rights And you would see a loss of $800 million. And then you would allow for anti-hunters and anti-gunners to control conservation discussions and eliminate stakeholders as we know it. And while this amount of money is phenomenal, I've made you all very aware of how this administration loves to push out this message. Yes, hunters and anglers, we love your efforts. You guys have put out this money. But they're quietly working against hunters and anglers behind the scenes with the prohibition of lead tackle and bullets on future National Wildlife Refuge openings. They've closed 60 million acres to caribou hunting in Alaska. They haven't protected the concept of no net loss. They have cut access to public lands, those two aforementioned cases, and they are chipping away at the sporting heritage. So it's it's very interesting that they put this out there, but unfortunately, quietly behind the scenes, they're not working for our interests. You have to be aware of that. It's duplicitous. Not saying everyone in the agency is working against us, but those top brass individuals that are leading policy, they're working with Center for Biological Diversity, with Natural Resources Defense Council, and others to prevent wildlife conservation even in the form of wildlife management of, let's say, controversial species from proceeding. So you need to be aware of the caveats that while this is good news, it's largely the contributions of shooters, anglers, and hunters. They're not going to be stewarding this money well. And like I said, I'm very suspect and suspicious of having these monies tied to the bipartisan infrastructure law, which is not bipartisan. There was no Republican vote for it. And the America the Beautiful Initiative, which is very flawed and actually does not define conservation. It's more of a preservationist thing. Let's talk about the Willow Project now. You guys are hearing about this since news of this came out late Friday night. But the Willow Project in Alaska's North Slope has gotten Biden administration approval through the Bureau of Land Management. 
If you want to read the plan in detail, it's 124 pages long. I've included it in the show notes, but the Cliff Notes version, kind of the short story of what the significance of this. This is surprisingly in contra to the president's climate-centered energy policies and also to his executive orders. Since he first came to office, he has said we're going to be transitioning away from oil and gas. They're outdated. He campaigned on this. But because of lobbying efforts, very successful lobbying efforts of Alaska's bipartisan delegation, the two Republican senators, the newly sworn in Alaska at-large representative who's a Democrat, and the governor— and Alaska Natives, who may not be conservative, or maybe, depending upon who you look at, but due to that concerted lobbying effort, they were able to convince BLM and the Biden administration to approve this project, which would be constructed by ConocoPhillips. It would, if it comes to fruition, pump out about 180,000 barrels daily, and then it is supposed to, it is slated to, rather, employ up to 1,800 people. And like Governor Dunleavy mentioned on the podcast recently, he said this war on energy, this war on domestic production, particularly oil and gas, has driven people away from Alaska to the lower 48. So I bet he's very excited about this prospect, much like the rest of the delegation. But he also warned, in addition to Willow, that it's disgraceful that the Biden administration thinks that this is a compromise that will benefit America. So he is responding to, so they approved a smaller kind of size and scope of Willow Project. It was supposed to be like five terminals, something of that nature. They agreed to three. And he said in exchange for this shrunken project size, they also had to also agree to closed off about 16 million closed off acres to responsible oil and gas development in Alaska. And so he says, Taking future oil production in Alaska off the map won't decrease global oil consumption. It will just shift the market and give leverage to producers in countries that don't have our high standards for the environment and human rights. In the end, every American pays the price when President Biden restricts our ability to develop our own energy resources. So while a modification to the plan is good to this project by ConocoPhillips, The trade-offs may not be that good in the long run because (laughs) if they're stipulating that Alaska will have to say no to future development in the North Slope for condition of accepting this, that's a bad deal. But on the outset, at least it'll provide some temporary relief. It will not recoup a lot of the loss we've had from Biden's policies that very much punish and discourage responsible oil and gas development. They're really pushing hard on solar and wind, which are unreliable. They're only backed by subsidies, and they can't really come to fruition without government money. I think what can happen with this caveat is if an executive order, let's say a Republican wins in 2024, they come into power, they can, I think, undo this provision through the swipe of a pen executive order. That's the only way I think you can undo it. But to close off future development opportunities in Alaska like this for giving a little bone to the Alaska delegation and to Alaskans through that. That's a very raw deal. So while it is good that Willow was approved, some semblance of it, the trade-offs may be negative in the long run. And let's top off with a third good news item. You all have probably been following these MCC codes. You've heard that Visa and MasterCard and another credit card company, I forget the third major one off the top of my head, but they were taking cues from this very woke bank called Amalgamated Bank out of New York, trying to pressure these individual credit card companies to list MCC codes that denote that people are purchasing guns for gun stores, FFL dealers, things of that sort. Their reasoning 
a merchant category code. That's what an MCC stands for. They think imposing or mandating an MCC code, this is not even by the government, but the government would follow the cue of this group and, and this suggestion from Amalgamated Bank and some sort of international outfit as well to label purchases in this manner. And what we all can surmise from this is even if you label such a purchase, this is going to largely be on purchases made lawfully, not guns that are purchased by criminals. Criminals, if you don't know, don't take the legal route to purchase firearms. They usually obtain them on the black market. So perhaps Visa, MasterCard, and the other major credit card provider company realized that this would be extremely terrible to implement. It's not going to reduce a crime one bit, crimes involving firearms, and it's going to lead to us losing business with a huge share of the economy. If you don't know, the firearms industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, much like the outdoor industry. They comply with law. They work to stop crime. They're not perpetuating violence and Everyone, a lot of people have misgivings, not everyone, but people in the gun control industry have misgivings because they misinterpret what the industry does. They think that they're funding criminals, which is far-fetched and bizarre to even insinuate whatsoever. The NSSF, for instance, writes about why the credit card pause in these MCC codes is very good. So it was dated March 9th, 2023. They're very encouraged by the announcement from Visa and MasterCard that they will pause plans to implement a special merchant category code, MCC, specific to purchases at firearm retailers with their credit cards. It was later echoed by American Express and Discovered, I forgot those two, which previously announced plans to implement the special codes. They say that this is a positive development that major credit card companies have recognized the hazards of implementing the special MCC for purchases at a retail However, this is an announcement of a pause, not an abandonment of these special codes. Let's read. Visa has commented, actually, that they were very skeptical of these MCC codes before. I will link to that as well. But let's see what they said recently about the pause. Okay, let's read from Reuters. I think they have links to their statements. And the group that I was telling you about, the global outfit, the Geneva-based International Organization for Standardization, sounds Orwellian, they had approved last September these merchant category codes under the guise of detecting suspicious firearms and ammunition sales to combat so-called gun violence. And they claim it's a voluntary code, but yet these companies were mandated, even outside of the confines of our laws, to proceed with this. But MasterCard and Visa saw through. And according to a MasterCard representative, Seth Eisen, he says, it's for the reason that we have decided to pause work on the implementation of the firearm-specific MMC. Due to bills in Republican-led states discouraging this mandating of MCC codes for firearms retailers, there is now significant confusion and legal uncertainty in the payments ecosystem, and the state actions disrupt the intent of global standards. Accordingly, Visa is pausing implementation of the MCC, Visa said in a statement sent by a spokesperson. And similarly, with Discover Financial Services said in an emailed statement, it was removing the new code from its next Network update plan for April to, quote, continue alignment interoperability with the industry, end quote. And Reuters describes this as a setback for gun control activists, though the payment network stopped short of saying they would reject the code outright. 
The new code adds gun and ammunition shops to a list of hundreds of other type of retailers used to set fees, among other things. So it's a pause. It's not a complete abolition of it. So we need to be aware of this. We're going to keep you guys abreast with this. I'm going to go in detail at townhall.com about what these MCC codes do, why they are proposed and even considered, what their implications are, and much more. We will celebrate this momentary victory here on District of Conservation. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content. Share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.